Hello, fellow law nerds. Welcome to a very special episode of Boom Lawyered, a Rewire News Group podcast hosted by the legal journalism team that hopes you took this weekend to engage in radical self-care. I'm Rewire News Group Senior Editor of Law and Policy, Imani Gandhi. And I'm Jess Piclo, Rewire News Group's Executive Editor. Rewire News Group is the one and only home for expert repro journalism that inspires you to stay in the fight. And the Boom Lawyered podcast is part of that mission. So a big thanks to our subscribers and a welcome to our new listeners. Wow, you know, it's been a little bit of a week and then some. Amani, we've been pretty busy. We've been doing some coverage. We've heard some really great stories of folks at the court in response to what we've been doing. And I just want to, first of all, say thank you to everybody for all of that support. And also to remind you all that that's what makes this possible. So if you can donate a little bit, keeps this going, rewirenewsgroup.com slash donate. It's how we do what we do, folks. Thank you for the support. We are joined by Jenny Ma, senior staff attorney at the Center for Reproductive Rights and one of the attorneys involved in the biggest abortion rights fights in decades, Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization. Jenny, welcome to Boom Lawyered. Thank you for your time. How are you doing? Well, first, thanks so much, Imani and Jess, for having me on the show. I will just say as an avid listener, but also as a reproductive rights attorney, this is very cool and just I feel very honored. So thank you for having me. Um, I wish we weren't talking about the most, you know, significant abortion decision um, in decades, but we find ourselves here. Um, And I'll just say how I'm feeling is a little like trying to situate myself on like what day it is, like what time it is. Like yesterday I was like, wait, did the argument happen this morning or what was that? Um, It was just a lot inside the courtroom and outside the courtroom. And obviously from our perspectives, um, our team at the Center for Reproductive Rights have just been preparing for this Uh and working long hours and um, giving the presentation that we gave. And so it's been a, a long process. Talk a little bit about that process and also the scene outside the court. You know, I mean, we're going to talk about what happened inside the courtroom plenty in just a minute. But I don't know that all of the folks who listen to the show and who tuned in for arguments and who are really activated really understand, A, what the scene was like, and also just kind of like what that means for abortion patients, providers, people who support access. Yeah, I'll start with your first question on the prep Yeah. You know, June Medical Services, which was not the last time, actually, I I usually say the last time, but because of SBA and the Supreme Court taking up that case, right? It was like two times ago. Um, Julie Rickleman, who argued the Mississippi case, that was the last argument that the court heard before the pandemic. So the movement was there together. Um, You know, I was in the courtroom um, with our team. It was packed, right? Um, Justice Ginsburg's last argument in person was there, right? So it was a totally different feeling. And then the pandemic hit and we've been remote um, and working remotely. So Mm -hmm. it is actually really hard to prepare for any case remotely, but certainly a Supreme Court case where you just want to kind of have an idea or you read something and you want to just like barge into 
each other's offices to talk about it. And we just kind of, you know, as we're living in the Zoom world, it's just been a little different in that way. So there's certain challenges there, um, but we've just, you know, been Mm -hmm. burning the midnight oil preparing um, and getting to the court. Um, And I know we're going to talk about that. Um, So, and again, because of the pandemic, the Supreme Court greatly limits who gets to go inside the courtroom. So actually, Julie was only able to bring one person. Um, and so the most unfortunate part about that, actually, is that our clients were not able to be in the wow. courtroom for, for themselves. And, you know, I think that's actually, you know, pretty devastating for our mm-hmm. clients who have been fighting this fight for so long. But also, you know, for everyone who has a case before the Supreme Court, we all know, right, like they don't take every case. It's really actually pretty special to be there. And that whole experience Um you know, being taken away from both petitioners and respondents, but, um, you know, very different um, with pandemic roles, which meant that our team um, were outside um, with also the advocates as well as the antis. Um, and it was very extra outside. <laughs> um, we had a lot of supporters, like, so it was great to be surrounded again by the movement and our clients um, and my colleagues and just the entire movement who showed up. But um, from the anti's perspective, right, they had bust tons of folks. There was a lot of um, fetal imagery um, that was very incensant and like meant to disturb. Um, and um, just, I think, even from having been there, both during the Texas argument just a month ago, as well as June Medical, there's like an emboldened heightenedness mm-hmm. to the approach that anti's are taking. Yeah. And it just made me feel so much like this is what our clients go through mm-hmm. every day when they try to provide essential health care, right, to their patients. And it just made me respect and love them all the more that they have to face this every single time they step into work. Um, and um, it was just a version of that, like on steroids. Oof. That's heavy. I have a question about sort of, you know, sort of dovetailing on what Jess was saying about the pandemic creating these very unique situations whereby, as you said, your clients weren't even able to be in the courtroom, which has got to be devastating. So in terms of the process of arguments, you know, it's different now because of the pandemic. Everyone's asking questions. Justice Thomas has got a lot to say these days. And, you know, sometimes we wish he wouldn't, but he does. So (laughs) do you do you have any thoughts on how? The, the way that the, the questioning, the procedure of how the questioning is, is, is being undertaken. Do you have any thoughts about how that could affect the case? That's, that's interesting. I think one of the benefits were we weren't the first one out in the pandemic. So we had a little bit of leeway. We were t- kind of like listening in and mm-hmm. ha- taking notes about like what was going to happen. And so, you know, of course, because it's abortion, anything could happen. Right. right. Um, but we were like, okay, Justice Thomas is going to ask the first two questions most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of preparing and, you know, being overprepared um, and the A-plus student that Julie and our team are, um, you know, we really tried to guess out all of the different scenarios. So I think in terms of preparation, we kind of shifted to what we expected were to happen. So we kind of were like, okay, let's have some folks during moots play Justice Thomas and play Justice Alito and play Justice Kagan, right? What could potentially happen? Um, So in that aspect, I think it was, we were best prepared. um, But again, we were prepared for anything to happen because of what we practice in. (laughs) 
Do you draw straws to see who has to play Samolito? Oh my goodness. You know, actually it's a hot ticket. So <laughs> I bet, imagine. I bet that might you folks might have fun. I'm sorry, Ivana, you were gonna say. Do you get the sense that you were deprived of fully briefing and fully presenting the case about why abortion is so critical to the lives of women and pregnant people and why it is that the, you know, the, the value of precedent is such that this case shouldn't be overturned because of the way that the case made it to the court, right? Because Mississippi didn't ask the court to overturn Roe and Casey in his petition for cert. They switched after Ginsburg died and Amy Coney Barrett was on, you know, up on, on, on deck, as they say in baseball. So did you, do you get a sense that, there was some sort of kind of shenanigans that precluded you from really making this an argument about we are going to overturn 48 years of precedent about uh, on this constitutional right that a quarter of women need and use. That seems like a big deal. And I didn't get the sense that the arguments were really tailored to that because of the way the question was presented. Yeah. So I know your listeners are avid <laughs> SCOTUS um, docket watchers, but just to kind of highlight Imani's point, right? Yeah. When the governor of Mississippi signed this bill into law in 2018, all these states that pass bans at, you know, 15 weeks, six weeks, you know, and just to be extra, Mississippi has bans on bans on bans, right? Because it has a 15 week ban that we, that everyone knows just we was heard in SCOTUS, a six week ban that we blocked in court and a trigger law ban, right? And they're, that, they're not the only state that has this type of ban. So when they, pass these unconstitutional laws, they kind of are, you know, these are test cases. They're hoping that SCOTUS gets it. And it, that was 2018, which seems like, you know, seven lifetimes ago at this point, right? And it makes its way through the court and there is absolute uniformity, right? Like, as you guys said in your last podcast, right? All the lower courts understand that these are unconstitutional bans. Um, Pre-viability abortion <laughs> bans are unconstitutional. Exactly. Like, I mean, that's very Jazz clear. It's the song. I Jazz love it. Bands, jingles, right? Like anthems, <laughs> acapella, all the things. Even Judge Ho in the Fifth Circuit, who is certainly no friend to this issue, Truly. right? That was a uniform, unanimous decision. And so I'll be honest, it was a surprise to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think everyone that the court decided to take it, um, as again, co- the court takes such few cases, they sat on it for 11 months. That is very unusual, right? You get a kind of answer soon after, um, or f- at least a few months after. And I think we tried to figure out if we were the longest ever, or like we are, we're either the longest ever or the second longest that the court has kind of sat on a cert petition. So, and look, the time frame works out, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that. Uh, there was a switch in justices. I don't know what that means. I'm, I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall on those discussions, um, but they decided to take the case. And then Mississippi totally did a 180, right? And um, we made that argument, or uh, one of our amicus briefs makes that argument about um, whether or not this question was improvidently granted because of such the, of the switcheroo. Because mm-hmm. normally when you ask the court to consider overturning any precedent, let alone one that's been in place for 50 years, let alone one that one in four pregnant people rely on, let alone one that's been in place for two generations on reliance and one that's a fundamental right of this magnitude, you make it clear as right. possible. And the QP was not encompassing of that. Um, and so, you know, it was a surprise to get their brief in the way that they did it. I always liken it to like, 
candy and a cookie, like cookies in a cookie jar, right? Mm-hmm. Like you see it and you got to grab it, right? Like you can't take it away. Like you, Mississippi couldn't resist. It, it was a little mm-hmm. bit like the marshmallow test yep. where you give a kid a marshmallow and you say, you know, if you wait, you get two, but you got and some folks will just mm-hmm. grab it. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mississippi went and grabbed it. And I think that we were in the weird position of being respondents here because usually, um, as y'all know, in Texas and in home and South and in June Medical, we're the ones asking because we've lost below in that Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. This time we got to say, hey, we're going to make our robust arguments against this. And, you know, I think we were able to do that in the brief um, and we had limited time in the argument, but we got all of the points across that we wanted, right? Like, this is 50 years of precedent, um, all of the reliance that um, people have been depending on this right and how fundamental it is. Um, and again, the great benefit of having the United States come in on our side and Elizabeth Prelogger um, and Julie Rickleman giving such a great presentation, I think together, yep, um, we powerfully presented the key issues mm-hmm. in the case. Man, Mississippi. So, you know, Amani and I ha- went through and clearly like listened to the arguments, did our commentary, things that jumped out. You know, Justice Sotomayor doing all the work in these arguments, you know, those were some highlights for us. But I'd love to hear what were some of the moments for you folks that really stood out? Because we're like, you know, sitting here being like, wow, that was a really tough day. But there were some like moments of brilliance and areas that I think folks can really hold on to um, that we found. And I'd love to hear what they were for you. Yeah, so I just want to be clear. We knew who was on the court. And so we actually anticipated every single question except for the first one, to uh-huh. be frank. Um, wow. So we knew all of, so I just want to say like, as much as it was jarring to hear, right? Like safe haven laws had were argued in KC and have been, that argument's been around. It was made in an amicus brief in support of Mississippi. So we knew that could potentially come up. I mean, obviously we knew about this argument about neutrality of the constitution. So we knew that could potentially come up uh-huh. all of the precedent and sorry, decisis arguments, the reliance questions. So I want us to be optimistic in the sense of like, we knew what the range of potential questions were out there. So we had prepared for almost everything and indeed everyone, except for the the first one about cocaine, <laughs> cocaine babies by Justice Thomas, which honestly, I think if we had prepared for another year, we might not have come um, rem- thought that that would be a question that would be raised first up, right? So I want listeners and the yeah. movement and folks to just know that we did anticipate it. Um, and, you know, we can talk a little bit more about the, the specific ones that especially stood out, but we were very prepared. But yeah, Justice Thomas coming in hot with fetal personhood. <laughs> like truly, that's what that was, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And so <laughs> I want to echo your guys's um, commentary <laughs> on the the cringeworthy um, question um, mm-hmm. of aligning Brown versus Board of Education and then Plessy versus Ferguson, which is just that comparison is so mm-hmm. offensive. And, you know, I think the public and the justices know better <laughs> to say something that broke away from precedent to grant new rights yeah. and provide equality mm-hmm. <laughs> is very different from taking away a right that has been fundamental and has been in place for this long and affects 
everyone, right? Fa- the way how families are constructed and whether or not you've individually accessed an abortion, like how we think about like our families and marriage and who we sleep with and mm-hmm. child rearing and all of that. So that to me, you know, really felt um, difficult to bear. And I think along the same lines, the question of neutrality um, from Justice oh, Kavanaugh, um, because it's not neutral to make a woman be pregnant by the government, right? Like literally that's what that is. Right. Um, and for someone to remain pregnant, for someone to bear a child against their will to go through childbirth. And it was said in the argument, but it is 75 times more dangerous in Mississippi to bear a pregnancy versus having a birth. That's crazy. Like normally it's 14 times nationally, but 75 times because of the hideous maternal mortality and infant mortality rates in the state. So you know, I think that was a tough one to kind of hear that as an attorney and hear that as someone who's, um, you know, believes that abortion rights are, are human rights and that, you know, mm-hmm. women are people too, mm-hmm. deserving of liberty under the Constitution. So it would really mean that women would not have an equal claim under the Constitution to believe that principle. And I'll just add one more thing. Sorry, I know I'm yammering on a lot, but just because no, there's please. a lot. <laughs> Yammer um, away, please. I really thought it was quintessential as my role as a reproductive rights attorney to hear that um, question about the data in support. I was just going to ask you about that. I really was because John Roberts was like, yeah, okay. But setting all that aside, I mean, it was, yeah, please. Exactly. Imani. No, no. It was just so funny because I've had that experience so many times in court where Mm. we're like, okay, the American Medical Association, the American Bar Association, a co- top leading economist, every social science expert, people who write tons of studies about this, right? Like all of this mounting evidence. And I just would urge folks to even just take a look at the facts, right? Facts are facts. Mm-hmm, and like, mm-hmm. if you look at the quality of the briefs, the amicus briefs in support of our side versus like the arguments being made on the other and who signed them, like just, I urge everyone to just take a look, right? Like there's a huge difference and a giant gap. Yeah. Um, and so to hear that, which was, okay, what data do you have? Okay, I hear you. But putting that aside, right. it was just something that like, I've just heard a lot as a repro rights attorney. And just, I was like, I don't think there's anything more quintessential than that. <laughs> Can I just ask you a, a bit of a, a jokey question? Because as I was sort of preparing for Wednesday, I was flipping through the lists of amicus briefs and I came across a brief that was filed by a quote, Former frozen embryo. And that just seems to just distill the absolute madness that we are dealing with here, where someone is filing a brief and calling themselves a not a person, not a human, not a woman, but a former frozen embryo. And to make some kind of argument that all embryos deserve life when I guarantee that you former frozen embryo were pl- were plucked out and a bunch of other ones were discarded. So I don't, can you, does this make sense to you or is it just one of those, my God, what the heck is going on sort of situations? I mean, I will say that being in repro and being a repro rights lawyer really makes you be like, okay, like I have to suspend this sometimes <laughs> and I'll just one up you, Imani. Not only was there an amicus brief, that, frozen embryo um, asked for argument time. Oh my God. <laughs> and so that's, I just say that cause it's in the public record. And so it was yeah. denied by the court. And, um, but like, can you imagine? I don't know what that would have looked like. 
<laughs> That's shocking. That's hysterical. We're in the um, world of the absurdist. So we we absolutely are. It's just, I mean, it would be funny if it weren't so dangerous and yep. and tragic. Yep. Do you know what I mean? And which is why, you know, Jess and I have been trying to find those moments of humor in all of this, because otherwise we'll just be crying and just stabbing everything around <laughs> us all of the time. And we don't want to do that. Yeah. You know, we don't want to actually harm people. Same, um, same. <laughs> but you know, so whatever the outcome of this case is going to be, and I think we all kind of understand what that is going to be, but let's pretend we don't, or let's pretend that doesn't matter. Where do abortion rights supporters go from here, irrespective of the outcome? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't think the outcome is written on the wall. And you could call me an optimist, but I really think, you know, we've been here before. Our team, like, really obviously grappled with all of the precedents before. And there's like an eerie similarity to Casey a little bit. Oh. And when you look back at Casey, right, everyone walked out of there being like, holy crap. And a lot of the newspaper headlines are similar. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, when you grapple with this, right, with all of the like real arguments that were made on our side and the strength of those arguments, there is no principled line other than viability. Um, and no one in 50 years has come up with one. Right. Like and Mississippi certainly didn't come up with one. And every argument Mississippi made was rejected and carefully considered in Casey as well. So when you really sit with that and when you combine all of the other things, right, like legitimacy and like the arguments. And I, you know, having done a lot of work on history and tradition and common law and looked at like Locke and Blackstone, all mm -hmm. of that is actually on our side. And yeah. I really urge the movement to take back that narrative because I think there has been some slippage there. Um, so science facts common law natural law like history tradition it's precedent on precedent too so i think when you look i don't know what's going to happen and i'm not going to read tea leaves and i don't have a crystal ball but i think that like when push comes to shove like you know i think it's gonna be a lot more difficult um for everyone so i just there's a lot of room between oral argument and decision day mm -hmm. so i urge people to keep up the drumbeat right so so the movement and what we could do i'll just say like our providers are kick-ass and resilient and creative and they are back at work, right? Like mm -hmm. our Mississippi provider, Shannon Brewer was at the argument and she's back, you know, like providing care for Mississippians and other folks and on the Texans that are coming to the clinic. So they are, you know, so inspirational and just continue to provide and show up for their communities. So they're doing that. And through their strength, I think we can all find like just to keep, up the conversation and to like alert the public of what is real, like just keep up the drumbeat, right? Because I don't want like everything to go away after oral argument. I think it's really important to point out the facts, to be clear that anything other than upholding the viability line is the same as devast like up <laughs> uprooting row completely, right? I think that's really important because I think, you know, as you guys have said, and we see some of this gosh out there about middle ground there's just not and <laughs> mm -hmm. like I think that just needs to be clear because like, if the court's going to do it then they better do it in the shining bright light so that people understand what's been done here seven in ten Americans support abortion rights in every single state no matter how anti-abortion the legislators are the majority of folks in that state support abortion there's not mm -hmm. a single state that's not so I just want to be very clear that we are the people, right? We are the people majority in power. Um, and then I think just pay attention to state and local um, legislatures and what they're doing because, um, you know, they've gotten away with a lot of 
bills on bills, right? <laughs> and um, this year, like it was unprecedented. There was a hundred bills passed, um, which was the most since 1973 and Roe was decided. But like, it would be great to to have this people power and the attention on this case shine more light into what these legislatures are doing on the local level because they are creating so much harm. And for people to be like, hey, let's stop these laws in their tracks so that we don't have to go to court, right? Like we don't have to spend years litigating these um, absurdly unconstitutional um, laws. Jenny, thank you and the center for all that you folks do day in and day out. I I mean the your heroes we owe you a debt of 100%. gratitude um truly yeah. and thank you for giving us time in this week in of all weeks especially for us for our listeners to help process and understand what's going on in this really important moment and I think most importantly to remind us all that the fight is still on. There is no reason to think that the game is over. And so no matter what happens, the fight stays on and we have reason to hope. And I think that is probably the best thing that you could leave our listeners with. And so for that, I truly say thank you. Uh, no, 100%. 100%. Do yeah. we both just say 100% at the same 100% time? 100% echo, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I just really wanted to say just those last few minutes of the things that you said about, you know, we've been here before and we thought it was going to be this bad and it ended up not being this bad. That actually gave me a little spark of hope. No, it's a long fight, y'all. And mm. I really urge us to look at other fights for justice and the ups and downs. And I think it's a crazy roller coaster trajectory, but we have to push forward, right? And you Absolutely. have to know that, um, you know, think of our providers who are showing up and feeling these feels and, and going to community and providing care. And um, I just say, you know, get your rest and have the feels, but then pick yourself up and um, fight again, because we're not going home and we're not packing up our bags. So neither should you. Absolutely. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thank you, guys. It was a dream to be on. So lovely to, <laughs> Anytime. to have you guys. Anytime. Come back anytime. Yes. Feel your feelings with us. Yes. <laughs> Jenny Ma, <laughs> National Treasure, everybody. <laughs> we would just like to once again thanks Jenny Ma for joining us. She is amazing oh. and we are very lucky to have had her come and speak to us about this momentous occasion. Truly. And if you would like to talk to us about anything that happened in Dobbs or anything at all, if you want to just feel your feelings with us on social media, I'm at Angry Black Lady. Jess is at Hegemommy, H-E-G-E-M-O-M-M-Y. You should follow all of Rewire News Group's social channels on Twitter and on Instagram. We have been crushing it. We have such great coverage on our Instagram feed. Videos with, with rally goers outside of the court are are. President Galena Espinoza was out there talking to people. It was just in a really amazing site. So please go check that out. And on that note, what are we going to do, Jess? We're going to see you on the tubes, folks. We are going to see you on the tubes, folks. Boom Lawyered is created and hosted by Jessica Mason Piclo and Imani Gandhi. Mark Filetti produces the show. 